You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Hey, good morning. Maybe you think you're in a little bit of a vortex this morning because what's going on? We've re- re- we have changed the, uh, the order of service. So what we're doing is we're just bringing a word this morning and then we're going to come to the Lord's table together. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. What was that, Colin? Yeah, the students are dismissed. Man, you asking me to do a lot this morning, you know that? <laughs> got to preach, got to do all that, but that's okay. Um, Renee, our coordinator, is sick today, and you can see it in all of our eyes. You know, we're just kind of running around going, what's going on? Who's doing what? But, uh, yeah, but it's, it really is. It's so good to, to be here. And, and our Thursday, for those that prayed for, you know, our pastor's conversation that happened last Thursday, um, we had uh, about 100 pastors here hosting them at New Life. They were really from all over the nation, from the East Coast, the West Coast, North, South, from everywhere. And it was really remarkable. And we want to thank you for being such good hosts and for your commitment to make disciples who make disciples for Jesus because that includes leaders and pastors. It always does. And so it was just a matter of just coming together and working on issues that can bring health to our life and bring us closer to Jesus. And so that's really what we wanted to do. And, um, and I think it went, it went really well. So we were excited about that. And um, again, thank you. Here's what I want you to do this morning. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. That's Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 10 through 14 together today. I don't know if you're aware of this. The book of Philippians is part of a group of books called the Prison Epistles. So you have, you have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and one of my favorite of all time that I teach is the book of Philemon. I love the book of Philemon. If you get a, get a chance to read the book, uh, for those, how many are not into long novels, like 600-page novels? You're not into that. Either am I. How many like Reader's Digest versions of things? Me. Uh, Philemon. Let me recommend Philemon. 25 verses. You'll get into it. But we're in Philippians. And this is incredible because today we're concluding our series in Philippians titled Impact. And, and we're going to do that by going back to chapter 3. And there's a reason we want to go back to chapter 3, because a few weeks ago, if you were here, you remember that uh, Pastor James did a great job leading us through this amazing chapter. So my intention today is not to repeat something. It's not to, to rehearse something that you've already heard. Rather, it's here to highlight a few verses that I think was really Paul's <clears throat> heart and passion. It was the very reason Paul lived. It was, it was, it was the driving force behind his life and his ministry, and as Paul does, he says it so well, and he says it so um, succinctly that oftentimes, if you don't pause and look at it and think, what did he just say? Uh, you might miss it. And so Paul does a great job in communicating what his heart and his pas- passion is. So not only are we concluding our series in Impact, which, uh, you know, there's a sadness for me because I love the book of Philippians. As I said, it's really my favorite book of all time. Um, I guess you're not supposed to have one in the Bible. But mine is. Just don't tell anybody. That's the one I really like. Um, I love the whole Bible. Um, but but th- this is also a bridge. Today is also a bridge for the coming series. And the coming series is going to be really simple. We're going right into our Easter season. Uh, in fact, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. 
And so we start Lent, and how many know what Lent is? Lent is that approximately 40 days before Easter that we really come to a place where we identify and want to identify with the journey of Jesus and his suffering and all the things that he dealt with. And Lent really is is an opportunity for us to do that because this is so true. Uh, There's really no resurrection without the suffering. Um, You know, we want to jump over it. Uh, forget the suffering, give me the resurrection. Really, uh, in our life, and Paul's going to say it in a little bit, um, it, you, have to, you have to walk with Jesus. To know him is to know everything about him, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so this series is going to be entitled, Jesus Has. So dot, dot, dot. And we're going to talk about that, Jesus Has. Next week is, as you've already heard, Caleb Brown is going to be here, and he's going to be talking about Jesus Has Rescued. Uh, I tell you what, he's got a phenomenal, phenomenal story, a testimony, so you're going to want to be here for that. And and this is going to lead us right into Easter. We're going to keep going. Jesus has forgiven. Jesus has obeyed. And guess what? On that Easter Sunday, we get to stand up and we get to say, Jesus has risen. And so that's where we're going with this series. And so how many, um, how many of you are observing Lent? Are you observing Lent? You don't have to, if you do, okay, good. Because I, I just think it's a, it's a good thing. I'm still really praying about, for me, Lent is just either setting aside something that I normally do, you know, or embracing something that I normally don't. That's, that's good. That gives me a, a sense of following Jesus Christ. Pray for me because I'm, um, I'm, I, I should have already done this Ash Wednesday. I should have had my, all my ducks lined up and had it down, but I don't. I'm still praying about what is it, God, that you're, you're doing in my life? What is it you're stirring up in my heart? And I think he's going to, I know he will be faithful to show me that. So I wanna, what I want you to do right now is pull out your sermon outline. If you have that, pull that out. Look at your sermon outline this morning. How many use this outline? Do you use it? Because there's blanks to fill in. You've got to do a little homework. If you're a person that's a little adverse to homework, maybe you get the hives like me. Uh, this, I try to make sure that it's not heavy work for you. But I think it's important oftentimes to write things down, take this, and use it during the course of the week. So do you see the overview? What I want you to look at right now is the overview of chapter 3. And this is remarkable to me. And, and it really is an overview of Paul's life with Jesus. It, it divides chapter 3 into three parts. So notice how it's divided. It's beautiful. How Paul does this, and it's Paul's past, present, and future. And then under Paul's past, he, he talks about the accountant. I count all things. And he talks about the way that he, he was measuring his life and that God is developing new values in him. Paul's present. He, he says, I'm an athlete. Um, I press toward the mark. I'm like a runner. Uh, that I press toward that mark, and I have new vigor in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about that. And then in 17, verses 17 through 21, it's Paul's future. And he's saying, man, I, I'm not long for this. I, I really would like to be in heaven because I feel kind of like an alien here, but that's not God's plan for me right now. I'm here because you need me here. He's telling the church of Philippi and everyone else, I'm here because God's plan is to have me here. You need me here. And, uh, but if it was up to me, I'd be gone. You know, I, I'd be with Jesus in an instant. And so that's a new vision. And Paul does a great job at pointing that out for us. So it's here we see Paul's deep desire for Jesus, that his relationship with Jesus Christ is his everything. And I think that's why we want to talk about the centrality. What is the central main hub of the book of Philippians? It's right here. Because he's saying, and he's going to communicate to us, Jesus is my everything. 
He's just saying that there's, there's really, Jesus is absolutely my everything. And I want to do something just for a moment, and, and I, want to, I want to say this to you because I think this is important. I want to speak to something that's been really stirring and churning inside of me for, well, I know, at least several weeks now, maybe even months. Uh, and it has to do with the spiritual state of the church and probably the nation and the world altogether. Um, and I'm not an expert in this uh, by any means, any stretch of the imagination. But there are some observations that, that, I, that I'm looking at. People are really nervous and anxious today. They're, you know, future's unknown, just what's going to happen next? Who knows what's going to happen next? You know, the last time that I remember our nation and the world going through such upheaval and disruption, this is going to give me away a little bit here, is uh, the upheaval, the social political, spiritual upheaval was in the 60s and 70s, 1960s and 70s. And there's something familiar about it. If you're a history buff, uh, there's something familiar that's going on here. And, and here's why I'm excited, because <laughs> people are saying, why are you so excited? Well, there's a reason I'm excited, and I'm full of hope. It's because that's when God's Holy Spirit moves in such a way that brings clarity and power. It's typically when we're at our wit's end. It's, re- it's usually when we're at the end of our rope, and then God says, you know, basically, do you give? Do you ha- have you had enough? And that's a place where the church and God's people come in and we repent. We confess our sins. And we say, Lord, just forgive us and heal our land. We need you to touch us. And I'm excited about what is transpiring and what will continue to transpire. If you're just looking at what is the obvious out there right now, you're probably pretty shook up. You might be even a little bit worried right now. But I'm doing this. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give me the spiritual ears to hear and a heart to respond. Because I I believe that that God is and will continue to speak in such a way that it will rise above the other noise. That that, that he is speaking, right? And And I think right now he's speaking. It might even be in a whisper. But that voice is going to become more clear, more powerful. Uh, more predominant. And it will be his voice that rises above all the other noise, news, sound bites, Twitter, social media. And I can't wait. I really can't wait. Uh, I'm so excited because my soul longs for you, O Lord. That's what David said. My soul longs for you. And and I'm wondering if you might think about that on your own and think about your journey there. And that we join together and say, Lord, we want to hear your voice, the clarion call of what you have to say because you don't leave us in a mess. Um, It seems like a mess at times, but you don't leave us here. You always lead us to life. You always lead us to freedom and we want to be available for your freedom to work in our lives. Can you say amen to that? I really believe that. So here's the question. Here's the question. It's pertinent to what we're going to talk about today. And that is, what is it you want? It's a great question. What is it you want? And, and you can think of it in a lot of different ways. You can think of it in tangible ways. It's kind of like um, a bucket list. I don't know if you have a bucket list. But if you have a bucket list, what's on your bucket list? What is it you want? Uh, Paul is going to talk to us in a moment about his spiritual bucket list. But it's always good to frame it and say, okay, what is it uh, that you want? What is on your bucket list? Now, I have wanted to put something on my bucket list for years, 
but you only put things on your bucket list that you actually think someday will happen. I mean, you know, you're not going to, you know, I'm not, my, my, on my bucket list, it doesn't say take a trip to Mars. It doesn't say that because that's not realistic. That's not going to happen. And this is what has happened to me. There's, there's one thing I've secretly wanted on my bucket list, but afraid to put it because it just doesn't, it, I, I didn't see any way it could happen, but it's happened for me. I got a call from a friend a couple months ago, and he's inviting me to the first round of the Masters. So, so guys, all the girls go, Who, what, what's the Masters? Masters what? Um, it, it's, it's the best golf tournament on the planet. And he invites me, and he says, hey, I want to I feed you. I want to put you up in a hotel. Just, you know, get, you know, just get here. So I let Annette know this, and I get this big caps back, absolutely, and she already had my plane tickets, and I'm out of here. Um, But I would never put that on my bucket list, because you've got to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody to even get in there. But I'm thinking, God, this is kind of how you work. I mean, we put things on our bucket list, and you come through, and then we can talk about what what are those things on your spiritual bucket list that you dare to dream about? The restoration of your family or your marriage, hope for your community. What are those things that God wants us to, to dream about? To, to say, these, I'm going to put this on here because I know God can come through. Well, what Paul does is Paul narrows his bucket list down really to one thing. Uh, and he said this, I want to know Christ. If I'm going to, if I'm going to put it into one, one phrase, it is this, I want to know Christ. And he says it in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings being or becoming like him in death. So what does it mean to know Jesus? I mean, that's a good question. So what does it mean to know him? Well, first of all, knowing Jesus means intimacy. That's the first thing that you need to know based on the word know. That word no is just not a random word that Paul just pulls out of his hat. The word no here is not about facts or formulas or math equations or science problems. That's not the word no here. In fact, this word is used for marriage. It's the intimacy of a marriage union. And Paul is saying with that kind of covenant, I want to know him. I want to know everything I can know about him. I want to have a relationship with him. I want to, I want to be intimate with him. Uh, two weeks from today, uh, Annette and I celebrate our 39th wedding anniversary. Two days, two weeks from today. Yeah, March 19th. 39 years. That's a hunk of time. I'm no longer a rookie, but sometimes I feel like one. And the reason I do is I, I, we entered a covenant 30, almost 39 years ago. And for me, and it may kind of, even might sound a little corny, but for me, I still have a deep passion to know her over 39 years. I, I, you know, I just want to kind of hang out because we, we, we grow together. We're on a journey together. We've gone through difficult times together. We've had joys and heartaches and all of these things that I tell everyone on their wedding day are the things that will make it rich for you and you will be able to celebrate your 40th and your 50th and your 60th. It's this kind of journey, and that's the journey we've been on. And I still have that. There's a, there's a, there's a desire there. Well, Paul is writing this 30 years after he was knocked off his donkey. That's his conversion in the book of Acts. He's writing this like 30 years later, and what's he still doing? That same 
fervency, that same passion. He's going, I want to know him. And you're thinking, the apostle Paul? Wow. After 30 years, he's still saying this. I love him. I want to be with him. I want to know him. And let me say this. I, I, I know I, when I talk about this, I, I recognize that sometimes it's more, it's more about the idea of loving that people fall in love with. Does that make sense? Well, I love the idea of falling in love. But you got to fall in love. you got to do the real thing. It's more than loving the idea of being in love. So here's what Paul is getting at here. Paul is getting at the beginning of this, this book and the end of this book and all through it. He's saying your focus should not be on the why of circumstances or it's going to drive you crazy. Your focus should be on the who of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Your focus needs to be on the who of Jesus. So knowing Jesus means intimacy, but it also means resurrection power. And we get here and everyone goes, yeah, resurrection power. I love resurrection power. I do too, but wait till the next one. But we'll talk about this one right here. I love resurrection power. Um, uh, Several years ago, I I flew into the Burbank airport. It was when they rented the cars right there on site at the airport. Uh, Got off the airplane and I'm walking to the, you know, I'm walking to the rental car place. And uh, I usually get a, like a, a four-cylinder Toyota. It's like a hair dryer on wheels. You know, that's usually what you rent because it's really, it's the cheapest. And, I, and I'm walking into the rental car place. And I look and right in front of this, it was beautiful. It was a canary yellow with black racing stripes, brand new Corvette. Yeah, and I'm watching this, and literally this happening. I'm watching this, I'm so, and I run into the glass door. I just, boom, you know, like, whoa. And I, and I keep looking over my shoulder at this, this Corvette, and I know I'm going to drive a Toyota. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking, wow, this isn't, oh, my. So I go up to the counter, and he said, oh, Mr. Swore, you're in for an upgrade today. And I say, I am. And I kept kind of looking back over my shoulder, you know, like, uh, so what was I going to get? A Corolla. Yeah, 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 I know that. So what can I get? He goes, well, you know, kind of pick. And I said, I know what I want, but can I get it? It's right there. And he goes, whoa. I said, come on. You said I was in for an upgrade. I said, what family are you going to rent that to? Because I'm here by myself, man, you know. And he goes, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll rent it to you for $8 more a day. I said, sold, you know. (laughs) I didn't even want anyone to hear that. And I, and I jumped in this guy's the first and last time, except when I drive Steve's Corvette. Um, uh, the first and the last time, I'm going to get in one of these. And, and I'm telling you what, the, the power on that blows the doors off anything. I mean, it, it was hard to keep it at 60. And when you were going a little faster than that, you didn't even know. I'm going to tell you what, it beats a Corolla. It beats a Corolla any day of the week. <laughs> and I'm driving this car around thinking, wow, this is put a top down, you know, and just driving around. California, and I'm thinking, this, the power in this is incredible. What Paul is saying to us, he said, knowing Jesus fills you with a new kind of power. This is Easter every single day. So I I no longer just get by on Toyota power. I no longer need to be a, a, a victim to my circumstances because what power I've been given by the Holy Spirit blows the doors off any other kind of power. That I'm no longer a victim of sin, but I am connected with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have been given, you have been given a serious upgrade. And he says you can live right in this place. 
in the power and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then it comes to this next one, because knowing Jesus is not only being intimate and understanding resurrection power, living that way, knowing Jesus also means hardship and suffering. The fellowship of his suffering and becoming like him in his death. And some of you are thinking, uh, as I have thought, you're thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Uh, that's not what I signed up for. Mm-mm. Nope, 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 nope. I like the resurrection stuff, you know. Uh, I, like, I like all that, the relational stuff. But what is he saying here? He's saying, you know, to be in fellowship. You know what that means? That word there is the word koinonia, and it's used here. It's used, and it means to be part of the community of suffering with Jesus. I, I, I guess the, the benefit there, there's a lot of them, but one of them is that for those that choose to do that, it's a community, and you're not alone, and you're doing it together through the power of Jesus. That's amazing. That I'm in this, this community. So why did Paul... Put that one in. I mean, I'm, I, you know, you read it. Couldn't he have stopped just to, just like a, I mean, couldn't he have just finished with a Corvette? I mean, that'd have been good. But he says no. He says there's a, there's a fellowship of suffering, of hardship. So this is what Paul is saying. Don't miss this. You have to understand what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. Number one on my bucket list. Number two is I want to know him. Number three is I want to know him. Number four is I want to know him. But what he's saying here, in order to know all of Jesus, I need to know the suffering Jesus. You know, if I'm really serious about knowing Jesus, I need to know the suffering Jesus. And some of us, including me, there are times that we try to shy away from the suffering aspects. When it's resurrection power, we're saying, Yahoo! Thank you, Jesus. But when it's really difficult, we might even go through a season where we question our faith. Or, or when it's really difficult, we might even doubt, was this the direction God sent me? Did I make a mistake? For those that might be thinking the latter, let me say this to you. Jesus put you in the boat you're in, and there's a storm. Sometimes you just end up being in the boat that he put you in, and there's a storm. You haven't done anything wrong. You're just in the boat where there's a storm. And so what does Jesus do? He shows up, scares the living daylights out of these disciples, and he says this, it is I. Don't be afraid. What's he doing? He's trying to strengthen your faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's what he's doing. He's strengthening your faith. So when you go through the difficult time of suffering, it's not a, 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 it's not a weakened time. We might feel that way, but he's doing that to prove your faith. To, to, to prove your faith so you can see, oh God, I'm, there are some areas I'm kind of weak in over here. But Lord, I see some strengths that you brought to my life. You don't know unless it's proved. You don't know unless the heat is turned up. And so Paul moves on and he does this, the second thing. And I'm going to move through this. Paul says, I want to know Christ. But he also says, I want to take hold. See what it says in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has took hold of me. I love this. I love this because if you, you think 
uh, of anyone who would have arrived. I mean, if you're going to put them up against Jesus and say, well, if, who's arrived? I would, first on my list would be the Apostle Paul. Maybe then St. Augustine and St. Francis and those guys. But I would say the Apostle Paul has arrived. But Paul doesn't say that about himself. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm taking hold of this. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't already arrived, but I'm taking hold of this. I, I'm still on the journey. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ, now don't miss this, for which Christ has taken hold of me. See, your salvation is not some random act of God's kindness. He came for you. He's taken a hold of you. That's the conviction of sin that we experience. That, that, that's God surrounding us. It's called, and Annette and I call this, an uncomfortable grace. But you're just uncomfortable. And it's because God has hemmed you in. Your life in Jesus Christ, your life altogether, is not random. It isn't happen chance. It isn't left up to circumstances. The Bible says, I take a hold of him. Why? Because he first took a hold of me. How many know that we didn't find Jesus uh, because he wasn't lost, nor was he in trouble? Who was lost? Who was in trouble? I was. I was. And he took a hold of me, and then I took a hold of him. My boys and I, I think I've said this before, my boys and I, when they were younger, we were on a camping trip, and we, we just left the, the camp area, and we were headed down to the river. Went down to the river, and all the way down to the river, there's this, like, irresistible Dirt slide. I mean, you know, what, who's going to avoid that? Not us. Let's go, man. Let's just slide down this thing. So we just jumped and whew, went sliding down this dirt slide. What we didn't know is we hit a nest of hornets right over the ground. Those ground hornets, they're nasty buggers. And they came rising up out of the ground like, who just messed with me? And I saw them come up in a swarm like they just came out of the hole and I told my oldest son, who was ahead of us, run, run, run. And I pointed. And he started running. My little guy, my, my younger son, is just looking at me. You know what I did? I took a hold of him. I just grabbed him. And when I grabbed him, he grabbed me. And we started running, man. I was running with him like a football down a lot, just getting away from that thing. And we dove into a part of the river that had kind of was more quiet. And I, we got my boy, I got my boys in there, and I threw my, uh, my shirt, wet shirt, over the top of us. And we sat there so we could breathe until that, that swarm went over the top. Listen, life is like that. You're going to hit these hornet's nests, and I'm going to tell you the first thing you need to know and be confident in is that he has a hold of you. So then you can take a hold of him. Paul says that this is a reality for me. He has taken a hold of me. And now I want to take a hold of him. I love that. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Once we were far off, but now what? I've been brought near to Jesus. How? By the blood sacrifice of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. That's how I've done it. You know, I, normally we reserve this for late, but bow your head just for a moment. I want to do this. I feel like I need to do this. I just feel a direction here. I want to say this. If you need Jesus to take a hold of you so you can take a hold of him, that you need his rescuing power and strength, you need his salvation, and you haven't done that before, 
just right where you are. I'm not going to call you out, but I want you to just lift up your hand and say, man, I need Jesus to take a hold of me. I need his salvation in my life. If you're here and you need to do that, just lift your hand right now. I'm not going to delay the service any longer. Good. Thank you for being honest about that. That's it right there. Just lift it. Just keep your hand up for a moment. Just for a moment, because we want to get you um, the starter package that explains how Jesus is taking a hold of your life and then how you can be a disciple, take hold of his life and follow him. It's beautiful that he's rescuing you right now. The Bible says all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You've lifted your hand and you're calling on the name of the Lord and salvation is instantly yours in Jesus' name. So I want us to pray this way. I want everyone in the room to pray this way. Um, Follow me, including those that lifted their hands. Pray this way. Dear Jesus, I invite you to take a hold of my life. Take control of my life. I surrender to you. I choose today to receive eternal life. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, and now I take a hold of you. Amen. Amen. Would you applaud the salvation of the Lord? Amen. God is good. Thank you for your courage, for those that receive Christ, that courage it takes just to to step out and say, here I am. So the third thing here is then Paul goes on and he says, I want to focus. So I not only want to have intimacy, I want to take hold. I want to focus. Read verse 13 with me. It says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Now, this is interesting to me. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Now, you have to understand this, I think, a little bit because there's no doubt that some of this forgetting has to do with sin in our lives. That because of what Jesus has done, he's given us, we, that there's the forgetting of the sin. I'm leaving that. I'm in a old. The old is gone. The new has come. As some did here just uh, 10 seconds ago, the old is gone. The new has come in Christ Jesus. But a lot of what Paul was really referring to in context to this scripture is he wanted to forget uh, was his self-effort to be good and right. Because he gives his resume He says, I just need to keep reminding myself, I have to forget that salvation isn't something that I can do for myself. That salvation is in Jesus Christ. But boy, I don't know how many times I want to jump in and rescue me. Have you ever seen someone drowning, try to rescue themselves? It is not pretty. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, yes, it's the sin, but it's me trying to attain salvation on my own. Trying to do it by myself, and Paul, Paul's recognizing that the vehicle he used, was wanting to use, was the law. And he talks about that. So the law is based on what we do. Faith in Christ is based on what he has already done. There's the big difference. It's huge. What does this focus look like? Well, first, focus on Jesus and not on the hound dogs. <laughs> and he says that. He actually, look at it. He says it in verse 2. So I'll show, I know it's not in our text, but we're going above there. Beginning of the chapter. Watch out for those dogs, those evil doers, those mutilators of the flesh. So who is he talking about? This is what he's talking about. It was a group of people called Judaizers. What they believed is they could still practice their, their extreme Jewish faith and, and, if you, and be saved. But if you didn't, 
If you were someone who came to faith and didn't practice the way they did, you really weren't saved. That's the bottom line. Primarily, they're dealing with circumcision here. That's, what, that's why Paul says, hey, now it's just a mutilation of, of, of the flesh. I mean, you guys were still wanting to mutilate, and you guys are stinking dogs. You know, just yapping. Yep, 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 yep. And then I have a little dog, and sometimes, man, I'll tell you, that dog can, you know, go and stay in the backyard for a while. Because it, yep, 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 yep. And it just, it, 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 it's annoying. It really is annoying. But I know what happens. I know in our own lives, in the back of our head, especially if you've been around church for a long, long time, you have that temptation to do it yourself. And there's that yap, 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 yap. Do it, do it, do it, do it. You can do it on your own. See, that's your religious voice yapping. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying there's nothing else you add to this equation. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. You don't add anything else. Not circumcision. It's a mutilation of the faith. It's not eating a right diet. That's, that, that's, that's messing people up. He says it's Jesus Christ. And then Paul says focus. Focus on keeping Jesus the main thing. That's what he does in verse 3. For it is, it is we who are the circumcision, now in Jesus... We who serve God in his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. We are the, the, the listen, we live in a land of super achievers. I think that's what we're known for in this, this country. Paul says, put no confidence in the flesh. Especially what he's saying here, in terms of salvation. Similar to what he's already said, but there's this distinction here. It doesn't mean that we're to be lazy and not work hard. What he's saying is salvation is not by grace a lot. He's saying salvation is by grace alone. And sometimes we muck it up. Well, there's a lot of grace. No, alone. It's only grace. It's only absolutely 100% grace. There's no such thing as 98% God's grace. It's 100% grace. He's amazing here because what he also explains to us is that focus is about focusing on Jesus and not self-confidence. And he says that in verses 4 through 6. He says, though I myself have reason, here's his resume or past resume, for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Uh, circumcised on the eighth day. We, I even did it on the eighth. It's the eighth day my parents did this. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You can examine my life upside down, inside out, and as far as the flesh is concerned, I'm faultless. I did everything right. In everything that used to matter, then Paul says, it used to matter to him and it used to matter to his world, uh, he was exceptional. He says, all those things that made me religiously a superhero, I count as garbage. By the word there uh, in the Greek is a lot stronger than the word garbage as you understand it. He's confessing that he is one big mess without Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. 
And some of us, listen, we get caught up into this kind of performance addiction, you know, kind of thing. And Paul is saying, yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir if you're talking to me about that. Because here, it's what I've done. And he's saying, listen, for those that deal with that performance addiction, he says it can be broken, but it has to be broken only by Jesus Christ. I mean, all we're about is just performing and making things right and performing. Making sure everyone else is okay and taken care of and performing and performing and performing and performing. And Paul says, I live that life. I put that behind me. It didn't get me anywhere. Jesus got me everywhere. And then the last thing Paul says here is I want to press. Do you see what he's doing? This this is pretty amazing. I want to press. Verse 14, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So let me, let me just make a distinction here. Sometimes it's good to know what pressing is not or what something is not. And I want to do that here. Um, coasting is not pressing. So coasting in your spiritual walk right now is not pressing. And I'm going to say there's a temptation for this to happen because we say, I paid my dues. I've done what I've done. I've served well. I'm you know, I'm gonna, I got an RV and I'm taking off. I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking vacations and taking off. But listen, you're still useful. Some people have already counted themselves out. I mean, you got to a certain age and you said, boop, that's it. Kids are gone. I'm out of here. Listen, if you check out like that with Jesus, you're in trouble. I don't care how old you are. You're in trouble. Well, you think I've got this wired in. I know it. I understand it. No, you're in trouble. If what you're going to do is coast in your spiritual walk that is not pressing, you cannot come to a place where you say, I've given, I've given enough. Great theologian said this, he who thinks he is finished is finished. Coasting is not impressing either. It's not impressing those around us. It's not living that religious life, letting everyone around us know See, Paul lived for an audience of one, and he makes it very clear here who his audience is. Oh, that I might know you, Jesus Christ. You are my audience. You are the one that I want to please. And then the last thing that I'll say here is worry is not pressing. Sometimes we think, we get them confused. I'm pressing. No, you're worrying. (laughs) You are. You're, You're worrying about things you really have no control over. You're worrying, and you think, well, you're doing God a great service. No, you're worried as nobody a great service. And it's not pressing. It's worrying. It's having anxiety in your life. And this is the thing. God has given us all this wonderful thing called an imagination. Um, You know, my imagination factory should be dreaming dreams, not nightmares. That's worry. So Paul says and spends a lot of time saying, focus on these things. This is how you think. So you don't need to worry. So worry is certainly not pressing. And I love again, Paul says, oh, that I might know you. I might know you. The power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, being like you in death. God is good. Would you bow your head with me and we're going to invite the worship team to come forward. And now you see, maybe know the reason why we're taking the Lord's table now. This is a perfect message to do that with and especially for those that just received Jesus. You're taking communion in this place for the first time knowing him, that he's captured you, that he's taken a hold of you. Coming to the communion table is now saying, because he's taken a hold of me, I want to take a hold of him. I want to follow him.
I want to know him. Father, we want to thank you today for this amazing grace that you have given us. It's not a lot of grace. It's only grace. It's only grace. It's only by grace that we are saved. Lord, if we could write a bucket list, a spiritual bucket list, let us be like Paul and put that on the top. I want to know Jesus. Change our hearts. Change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.